Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Hi, this is Mark Iacono from Major Lindsay in Africa. Welcome to our podcast, Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. For those of you who don't know Major Lindsay, it's the world's largest standalone legal recruiting firm and a significant presence in the legal operations consulting field as well. My guest today is Ann Little, who is a lawyer career coach. If you follow her on LinkedIn or you're aware of what's going on sort of in the legal mental wellness career development ecosystem, she is a frequent and extraordinarily um, insightful contributor to the discussion around uh, burnout, lawyers' mental health, lawyers' career development. And with that, Anne, would you care to introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, thanks so much, Mark. I'm Annie Little. I'm a former lawyer. I practiced for seven years. And uh, in 2012, I set out to become a lawyer career coach. I founded my company, JD Nation. And so for almost 10 years now, I've been helping lawyers to land, lead, and succeed in the legal profession and beyond. Some people are ready to leave, and I'm happy to help them do that as well. And, you know, as far as what we're talking about, burnout is a big focus of what I talk about with everyone, whether they're like a partner or somebody who wants to leave the legal profession entirely, burnout comes up at some point. That is great. So for those of you who haven't guessed, the topic today is on burnout. And we've talked about burnout. And I think that we've talked about it um, in the context of what we see versus what we don't see in the dialogue. And a lot of the dialogue around burnout is around, you know, not having the right work-life balance, not, you know, exercising or meditating or cleaning up your diet and doing all of those things that supposedly alleviate your stress. And while neither you nor I disparage those things, and in fact, we encourage them, I think we've come to an understanding that you know, the root cause of burnout isn't just lifestyle, but it's sort of the systemic way workloads are managed. And so I want to start with that. And then later on, I want to dig into something you just said in your introduction about how partner burnout manifests itself versus associate burnout. Um, Because right now, all the focus is on how many hours associates are billing and can they sustain it? And I don't think we look at the notion that someone who's well-established in a firm could burn out. So let's talk about what's burnout deal with besides not meditating? (laughs) Well, and I love that because yes, I mean, and I'll just kind of lump that all together as self-care because to me, self-care is like taking care of yourself, like your, you know, basic human needs. So like eating well, good sleep, hygiene, moving your body, all that kind of stuff. And And it is important, right? But for me, that was never enough. But, you know, I'm just one person. So that was my experience. But as I've worked with lawyers over the past decade in my capacity as a coach, the people that are coming to me and the people that are reaching out to work with the coach, they are self-care experts. So they are already doing all of those things. And they're coming to me in part because it's not, they're like, it's not working. Like I still feel burned out. And then they're like, what am I doing wrong? And that for me is like one of the saddest (laughs) things for me to hear um, because there's this perception, like you said, that 
you just need to meditate and do all these things and then you'll be fine. And it puts the responsibility for managing burnout solely on the sufferer of burnout. And to be clear, we have an obligation to take care of ourselves, but we, as the, you know, people who are experiencing burnout are not the cause of our burnout when we're talking about work burnout. Yeah. I think that's a great point that you, you raised just when you started speaking, which is sometimes we perceive therapy and coaches as basically like someone's in distress and they don't know what to do. And they've thrown, they've yelled SOS. And in reality, many people, myself included, who've put together a career coach, therapist, a fitness expert, we understand who has to be on our team. And we understand all of those variables. We do. It's, it's that because we understand those, we know that those solutions aren't adequate. And I think that's really important is the people that come to you aren't always sort of clueless about how to care for themselves or uninformed about, you know, good eating or good diet, but they understand that there's now something beyond their control that they have to figure out how to deal with. And I think that's a myth that burnout, controlling burnout is within our control because it's not always. Yes, yes, that we can say that a thousand times over because I think that that is what is at the crux of this sort of epidemic of burnout is that if you can just self-care enough, you know, you, the associate, you need to be doing all of these things to not burn out when what's actually happening is employers, you need to not be fostering these environments that um, cause burnout. I mean, they they truly are the cause of burnout and not to say, you know, there are, we need, both parties need to have a role in it. And that's what's happening is employers tend to be shifting that onto the associate, you know, whoever partners associates, but the employee and like, here, here's this, you know, meditation webinar that maybe you can go to if you're not too busy. (laughs) And it's like, no, (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction is some firms are doing some really constructive things, but not many, not all of those things are really sending the message. We're going to give you information so you can do what you need to do for you, as opposed to recognizing that there may be some structural things about how the firm operates that contribute burnout. And no amount of self-care tools, modalities, programs will make that any better for the person because they don't have the ability to change those variables. Right. And kind of my pet peeve in this conversation is when I'll hear other people in the space saying, you know, encouraging lawyers to set, you just need to set better boundaries. I'm like, yes. And listen, I'm the queen of boundaries. Like my therapist is like, Annie, you're a little rigid with your boundaries. So I'm a, I am all about boundaries and we'll (laughs) talk about them till the cows come home. They are like my coping mechanism, but your boundaries are only as good as the people that will observe them. And there's this asymmetry of power that goes unrecognized when we're having this conversation. It's like, I can set a boundary where I'm not going to work past 7 p.m. on Tuesdays. Right. That might hold up sometimes. But if, you know, even if I'm a partner, if a client is making a demand of me and based on the culture and the way that we have trained our clients, I'm going to have to work past seven. 
And that's not a failing on me. That's not, I failed to hold my boundary. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's not, and that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. That's where you have an intention and you have the will, but the external circumstances trump that. That's not, and I, and I think one of the parts of the discussion around burnout that's so, I would say kind of disturbing actually, is the idea that when firm life or work or client demands break that boundary, that you who set that boundary have done something wrong. Yes. And there's like this sort of circle of, I set a boundary because I had a need for a boundary. That boundary got broken by circumstances beyond my control. And I'm weak because I couldn't enforce my own boundary. And that's just a terribly vicious, unconstructive cycle. Yeah, I think disturbing is the right word for it because it's, yeah. it's, it's like victim blaming almost. And I don't want, I don't, I'm not saying anybody's a victim here per se, but you know, when you're the one who's in pain and you are suffering from these symptoms of burnout and you're really doing it. And that's the thing, the people I work with really are making an effort and doing everything they possibly can. And then they're conditioned to blame themselves when yeah. these things don't work out. Yeah. And so I think we need to talk about <clears throat> some of the systemic things that really hopefully will need to change in the legal profession. And it's not just big law. Let's state that right off. Oh, the bat. correct. I've never worked in big law and I experienced exactly. all the stuff. I worked in small firms. It's a, there's a huge, there's a massive swath of firms with pressures that aren't big law. I mean, mm -hmm. an exponential number of lawyers that aren't in big law that suffer the same problems and issues and pressures that get publicized around big law. So I don't want the listeners to think that we are honing in on the, 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 the deficiencies in the way big law manages because it's more and it's a more it's a more systematic problem. Also, oh, yeah. as we get into this discussion, what I'm hoping is we'll see some threads between the systemic factors that cause burnout is also related to the systemic factors that cause a lack of diversity when diverse people leave the legal market and how that dovetails with, for instance, some of the unrealistic expectations we have of women because we, we insist they have to do everything. Yes. Um, I think that this burnout issue really ties together, you know, a lot of strands, frankly. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> so let's get into your operating thesis around um, some of the systemic causes of burnout. Yeah, I, honestly, the number one issue is workflow management, workload management. That is the source because it can contribute because it's connected to your billable hours, which that's just a whole toxic thing in and of itself, that metric. Um, but <laughs> so it's either you're super overwhelmed or when you're not, and then you're panicking because you don't have enough work. And there's no, I have yet to come across, and I know that there are some sort of new boutique firms that are very high tech and all that kind of stuff. And I'm curious to learn more about them, but I have yet to come across anyone I know who works in a law firm where they have like a, a project management system that is dedicated to managing workflow and keeping tabs on who's working on what and what 
and assigning work in that way. That's another, it's the billable hours and then it's the assignment. And I think that's also kind of what's behind this return to work garbage, where it's like, we well, have to come into the office because if you're not in the office, I'm not going to see you and I'm not going to give you work. Yeah. And so that's there's, a whole other problem. There's, there's several, several things to unpack there. Yes. A lot of firms are investing in legal project management, but with how they deploy it is within the context of a matter or a transaction yes. versus how they deploy it as a workload, workflow, work capacity tool. Um, the second thing is that one of my, um, one of my early uh, podcasts was with a psychologist called Aaron Reeves, who's written a lot on diversity, saying that the lack of a systematized and load balancing system is what causes the isolation. So when you talked about the people who aren't busy enough, really what happens is they're not maybe working excessive hours, but they're getting burned out because they have excessive anxiety about the perception of how they're valued. Yes. Just as stressed out as a person who feels like they can't even take their dog to the vet because they're so busy. Um, I, I think that that is really true. Now, one thing I would encourage you to do is listen to my podcast episode that came out recently with Kristen Hulse of Snell and Wilmer, because they are doing some really interesting things to connect lawyers, to keep tabs on lawyers, to understand what's going on. And frankly, you know, it's one of the first um, instances where I saw this holistic development. And that's partially because Kristen came from the academic world where she was helping prepare attorneys for law firm life. So she had um, a very developmental aspect to her experience when she went to Snell and Wilmer. And I think you will personally find that really interesting because it dovetails with what we're chatting about. I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> I love hearing about that uh, because there is some good discussion uh, based on research, but seeing like a, a really meaningful implementation of it is, uh, you know, I would say it's like lacking, but getting there. So I'm super excited to listen to that. I would say the other thing is that you raised a point that I wholeheartedly agree with, which is that you cannot divorce what's going on with legal technology or what's, or the, or the disciplines of project and process management from the well-being of your enterprise from the emotional well-being of your enterprise. I think traditionally those have been very siloed conversations. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna invest in a document automation system so we can do these kind of contracts quicker. Well, that's great. If you do that, that means your attorneys can do some more meaningful work. Or we are going to begin to monitor which practice groups you know, require staff augmentation versus which practice groups don't so that we can ensure that we're using the right tools at the right economies of scale to get people the help. So I think that's one of the burnout myths is that it's all about the onerousness of the work and not necessarily about the lack of infrastructure. Yes, that's a really good distinction because no, and I, I feel like uh, some of the people, I, lawyers I work with, they feel the need to say like, listen, I'm not unwilling to do the work. You know, they're like, I'm not lazy. I'm like, of course you're not. You're a lawyer. Like, you know, the lawyers in general are not like 
trying to avoid doing work. You know, generally we have an understanding that that's what we're going to do. And we like to do it just, but having that inconsistency in the flow, because like you were saying, you've got one person who can't even take their dog to the vet and the other person who's super anxious that those two people are often the same person too, over the course of like a couple months, you know, you'll, they'll be completely overwhelmed in one sense. And then the next month they're short on work. You know, you're right. You have, you know, one lawyer who, who is being pressed by a, a excessive, you know, work constraints. And the reality is not only overtired, but not really adequately able to devote the right time to the right task. You have another lawyer who's underutilized, whose skills aren't developing, who's clearly placing um, at least some um, judgment on how he or she or they are valued, right? Because they're not getting work um, to the extent that, a, you know, a busy, the less busy people are, you know, persons of color, or part of the LBGTQI community versus the persons who are busy, that just really breaks down those attempts at diversity because that's those are the people who are cycling out of the profession earlier. Women go into the profession, I think, at a higher rate right now, but they leave at a much faster rate, which is why the diversity statistics in terms of firm leadership across all spectrums of the legal vertical are so wonky. So yeah. I, I think that, you know, for, for firms and for attorneys to understand why does technology and workflow management take a key role in avoiding burnout, you have to think of it this way. When I was a lawyer 300 years ago, I had a dictaphone, I had a secretary, an actual secretary who was trained to be a secretary who could take shorthand yep. and do all that stuff. Most of us don't have that. So if we don't have a workflow management system, if we don't have good access to templates and stuff where we don't have to be an expert in formatting, if we don't have all that stuff, all those incremental little bites, those little paper cuts add up and they cause burnout. People don't think about that. But if you know you don't have good templates, if you don't have good tracking mechanisms, you don't have a good calendaring system, if you don't have a discipline to your your partner or your partners don't have good communication and, and, and project meetings and the like, that lack of structure is just as important as whether, you know, working hard and being busy is stressful. Yes. It's death by a thousand little paper cuts. And I think that's really one of the things you, you've emphasized is that burnout isn't necessarily about being too busy. Mm -hmm. It's about not having enough, what structure, backbone organization to how work gets done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And support. And to your point about how often uh, there are associates or lawyers in general who are not getting as much work. Um, and so they're like anxious because they aren't getting as much as opposed to like the traditional like white guys who are the ones who are very overworked in general. Like that in my theory is that that could be remedied by having you know, a process management system where you're able to just at a glance, you can literally see who's working on what. And you can at least even, you know, rather than just slide a new matter into someone, I don't know, pick up the phone, be like, hey, I'm looking at the board. It looks like you could use some additional work. 
Am I right? How's it going? Cause I've got a new matter for you. And then let the lawyer say, yes, thank you. Give me like, it's kind of like a right of first refusal, you know? And you know what the interesting about thing about that is if you distribute the work more evenly, you're going to have fewer tired people, overtired mm. people working on work. Number one, number two, when you go to evaluate people, you're going to not evaluate them on whether you perceive that they're hardworking or lazy. You're going to evaluate them on their work. And if they're not getting work because their quality isn't there, you're able to make that judgment as opposed to have people make the judgment that because you're not billing a lot of time and that happens, asking for work, wants to do work, is capable of doing work and nobody's watching to see that they're getting work. Um, I want to get to um, a topic you hit on in the beginning, which is your client base. When a partner comes to you and they're burnt out, does that look different than when an associate comes to you and they're burnt out? You know, I would say the symptoms are the same, but what's different is their awareness around what's happening. And part the partners that I've worked with, and I've worked with them at all different, like big law equity partner down to non-equity partner at a smaller firm. And the idea is, I'm a partner, I have more control over my situation. So I'm not really, you know, burned out and I should be able to self-care my way out of it. It's like to an extreme of what associates um, truly believe. And um, I actually was working with somebody and I said to him, you know, you can take a sabbatical for a month, two months, whatever, but you're gonna come back to the same workplace. And if it's the same workplace that caused this burnout that made you want to take three months off, it's still going to be there when you get back. And the look on his face, he was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like that is going to be my trigger no matter what, unless things change. And I think there, that, that whole idea that he had enough power over his situation, and he held like leadership roles within the organization. But he was like, I do not have the power to make these changes in how we manage client expectations. That's the big thing from the partner level that I found. It's the managing client expectations and then all of the classic like infighting, I guess, over credit, you know, origination credit, billing credit, all that kind of stuff. So those are some extra contributors, um, but it's the same thing, like can't get out of bed you know, and they, they had tend to have more resources. So they, they tend to throw more money <laughs> at their stuff. So they'll have like a more luxurious sort of uh, solution to things. Like they'll spend a month in Sedona or, um, you know, they'll have like a chef that can come and make food in their house, uh, you know, weekly or whatever. And so they might I have always, more extravagant solutions, but. I always say that the burnout situation can be summed up like this. You can get a totally blissful 120 minute massage and about an hour later, your hip still hurts. Yes. 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 And it's. That's the I mean, same thing with going to Hawaii for two weeks. You come back and you have 700 emails oh. and, you know, clients have been wanting to get a hold of you or you never could completely get away because clients want to get a hold of you. And um, I think some of the things you know, especially in the bigger firms that are exacerbating this is as you begin to see the lockstep compensation models fall. Um, 
there are arguments for for not having it but one of the arguments for having it is that if the lawyers are committed to the culture and to the firm then it eliminates a lot of that sort of intramural squabbling but as it, we've become more of a free agent and um more portable type of, of of industry you know that 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 system doesn't work and so i i always liked i don't always like to but i often um you know equate it to um you know sports look how many teams which lebron james has paid played for you know and how rare it is now to have a player spend his entire career with one franchise and, mm -hmm. you know, free agency, you know, to the player's benefit because they have very short careers has, has played a significant role in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's the same thing here, especially as the larger firms have really pushed to have a more global reach. And, yeah. you know, the AMLA 50 are very acquisitive of talent and paying a lot of money for talent. Um, so I, I, I think that that's really one of the things that makes it really hard at the partner level. And we don't talk about enough about that. We are all really aware of the mental health of the associates. And we are all very, very aware that there are many systemic changes we could make that would help with that. But at the partner level, that's a real Gordian knot in my view. Yeah. And part of what, what I mean, there's so many factors behind it, but it's partnership is a black box. And even people who are in partnership and have been in partnership for a long time, there's still a lot of elements about compensation and other things about the firm that they, they are not privy to. <laughs> and that's just kind of stunning. Well, I can tell you as a former shareholder who did set shareholder compensation, it's not any less stressful once you get oh. in the black box. It's just worse because people then yell at you. Um, Transparency can, you know, can blow up in your face. Lack of transparency can blow up in your face. Um, making subjective decisions about people's contribution, you know, not strictly based on numbers, um, is a good thing, but it can blow up in your face. So, I, I think the myth that partners, that there is anybody at the shareholder or firm leadership level who isn't stressed in some capacity is just a myth. Oh yeah. And I, I work with lawyers, partners who are on the compensation committee and you're right. They are, they, to use one of your words, they, they're sometimes disturbed by some of the decisions that are made on the committee, you know, cause they're like, it, it gets into the subjective stuff and it's hard. And then yeah, all, all the things you said, I, I echo that. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we have to recognize that we're probably going to see more burnout. We wouldn't surprise me if we see more high profile um, chairman leave. And we saw that last year, you know, with some of the most prominent firms in the country, because, you know, running a firm of that magnitude, they're global, multi-billion dollar global businesses. Um, and they're not just in the U.S., they're often in troubled jurisdictions across the world, including Russia and the Ukraine. Belarus and some of those other, you know, other countries were politically unstable and they not only have to navigate the politics of being there, but then the safety of their people. Um, I think, I, I don't think the partner burnout situation, I would encourage people who think making partner is going to lead to an easier life. 
understand that it's just going to lead to a different set of stresses and a different set of decisions to make and different trade-offs to make. Absolutely. And it starts right away because even as an associate or a senior assistant and someone, you know, I work with people who are told, you know, you're going to make partner, like that is not an issue, you know, so they have that security, but they're still, once they cross that threshold, into partnership, they're like, everything changes. You know, it's like, you need, before it's like, you need to have an area of expertise. And then it's like, you need to cross market and you need to be able to generally handle. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. So everything you told me, it's now different. (laughs) And I think that's really important because you're told you're going to make partner. And I would say being told that isn't that comforting because we all know that there's one typo in a brief or one missed deadline away from that changing, number one. Number two, um, you know, when you make partner or shareholder and they say to you, well, what are you going to do to build your practice? You've just been doing all this great work for existing clients. You're like, okay, this is like being a first year associate. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm better paid, but actually I have a shorter leash because at some point I have to show that I can either be perpetually busy working on big matters or I have to bring in matters. And you know, that's a huge paradigm shift. And, and, the, and the sad reality is, is that service partners um, aren't faring that well in a lot of instances. Yeah. And what's also problematic, and this is kind of a structural, I would argue a firm structural issue is, you know, there's, a, there's some lip service around business development for associates you know, like, you know, start to like make these connections. And then if an associate is able to develop some business and bring it in, there's no mechanism to give them credit. And they're like, oh no, we'll, we'll, we'll remember it in your review. And it's like, okay, but it's, it's really challenging to, for associates to do that when they still have the large billable requirement. And then there's not like a corollary in terms of uh, like, incentive like once they go out and they do it and they develop business they're like yay look at me I'm so great and then they're like wait what's happening um well and I want to tie it back to our workflow discussion too because I think this is really important associates can bring in business and some do but then the question is who's going to staff those matters because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have the ability or the you know the lines of authority or the support to staff those matters. So let's say they bring in a piece of business and they have to do it mostly themselves in addition to doing the work they've been given by partners. That's that's where not having any ability to calculate workflow and to understand and prioritize work makes it even harder because they bring in the business. The question is, is the firm set up to give them credit? And some are, some aren't. And then the question is, is the firm... does the firm have a mindset that's going to enable them to staff that matter or that transaction or that relationship properly? It's one thing when a client hires you to just sort of be available to give them advice. It's another thing when you're an associate and they hire you to handle a piece of litigation that's you know moderately complex or to handle a small deal, which is going to require at least a you know maybe a junior associate or an, one or two experienced paralegals. And then you have to figure out how, how, to, um, how to get the resources. Yes. When partners are struggling, younger partners are struggling to get their matters staffed. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> so what's your advice to um, 
partners in the, in those situations because we've identified the problem, but the fact is is that structure isn't going away anytime soon. And one thing on this podcast we don't try to do is sort of end with the notion of everything has to change in, in, in uh, under the assumption that people will actually listen to us and change. <laughs> I think you and I would very much enjoy that. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and just for the listeners. Ann and I are planning on writing an article on burnout and in the interface with technology and workflow management. Um, she may have forgotten that we decided to do this. I have things. not forgotten. But we are. Um, and, and we'll work on that once all of you listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> and Ann goes viral on Instagram or something of the nature. But so, so, so what are, what's your advice to those clients? Because there, there's so many factors that cause it and many of them don't want to leave, but many of them know that all of those, those structural factors that cause it aren't going to resolve themselves anytime soon. How do you get through? Cause they don't yeah. want to, they, they do like their work in their firm. Yes. It's not a question of they've disillusioned about the law. They just have to figure out how to stay functional. Truly, truly. And so, you know, it's very individual, just like how burnout can manifest, you know, everybody's symptoms can be kind of different, but I'm very upfront with my partners, especially I like my dream when I left the practice of law to open this business was to work with the up and coming partners, you know, additional, primarily like millennials, like my, I'm an elder millennial, but millennials and younger and help them to kind of change things from the inside because millennials generally want to affect change that's good for not only them, but for the greater good. So I was like, this is gonna be a good combination. So those people are finding me and it's the last couple of years have been super rewarding in that, but I'm very upfront and I say, listen, the change that you are trying to make is going to be very small and very incremental and it is going to be maddening. And I all say, listen, I didn't have it in me, okay? I was disillusioned, but legal services, like there's always gonna be a market for legal services. So no. we have this understanding that we wanna make this more hospitable to human life. We wanna make the legal profession more humane for everyone. And so it's kind of like, we focus on what their like career development stuff is that they're working on, whatever that may be for them. But then they also get to have like one sort of element of well, what is it for you? And we do this based on like their strengths and their values. So for example, someone may leadership, if they have both leadership as a strength and a value, it's like, okay, so how are we going to leverage that? Because that, that's kind of the thing that gives them like a little bit of joy and meaning in what they're doing. And so, but it also doesn't, feel like another item on their checklist, even though it's, um, you know, so for someone like that, it's like, well, I've got all of these colleagues who are coming up behind me, you know, that are in a similar situation to me. And I want to pave the way in the little, you know, I'm, I only have this teeny tiny wake, but I want to set this new sort of, uh, paradigm. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Paradigm for this. And I'm like, great. That's what we'll work on there. And then another one is like, somebody will be like, well, they're like, they're very big on like organization and efficiencies. And they're like, I really want to make it easier for like, honestly, for things to be staffed and for people to understand that when we get, you know, younger associates involved, that's a value add because it, it frees 
senior people up to do this type of work. And it's also giving these associates an opportunity to learn. And it's an opportunity for them to develop these associates and in some ways create some loyalty between them. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm going to take care of you and you're going to want to work for me. And it's going to be absolutely. I think that that's the, that's the thing is teaching people to make their lives and the lives that they're, of the people they're working with better. And, you know, knowing that over time that pays dividends, it's not an easy solution. There's no macro ref, you know, macro level reformation of the mindset and law yet. It's really going to be a lot of it's going to be but driven by generational leadership team, by tech savvy, um, you know, millennials and, and, and those that come behind them. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's the positive message is that we do have a generation of folks that are understanding, they better understand equity and because they better understand equity, they better understand how to use tools to create equity and to um, uh, run efficiently, fairly in, in a way that, that, that doesn't grind people down. So I think we leave and end this podcast on a good note. Um, and would you please share how folks can find you on the various social media channels? Yeah, LinkedIn is my favorite place to hang out. So just Annie Little, you can Google or not Google, search me on there if you need to. Um, my website, the JD Nation, tons of resources there. Um, I mean, I'm on all the socials, but those are the main ones. If you come to my website, go to LinkedIn, you'll be able to find me anywhere. Awesome. This has been Erasing the Stigma, Conversations about about mental health in the legal profession. My guest today has been Ann Little. Thank you all for listening. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com. <laughs>